Hello, and welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. Um, with me today, we have... Uh, I am Tim M. Sullivan, and with me, I brought a friend from out of state. I'm Angie Hachiman. Yeah, we have a very special guest, um, and I'm Ethan. I'm sure I didn't mention that, because I'm terrible at starting these. Um, but today's subject is uh, a really cool anime film, uh, Hayao Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky, um, which will be celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. A lot of 35th anniversaries featuring robots on Bomb Squad. Uh, we just had Transformers um, a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And um, just hopping right in, um, I wanted to ask, I think we'll start with uh, Tim. Um, and then move on to Angie, and then finally with me, because I'm always the most long-winded. Um, uh, what is your, before we discuss Castle in the Sky itself, what is your uh, previous experience with uh, Studio Ghibli films, um, particularly the films of Hayao Miyazaki? Yeah. Um, so I kind of started engaging with uh, Ghibli stuff in, like, I want to say 2011, 2012. It was shortly after I started college. I kind of started, like, I'd been aware of, I'd been aware of Miyazaki and I'd been aware of a lot of the movies. Like, I'd I'd always heard about Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away when I was in high school, but I hadn't watched them. So I think uh shortly after i started college i kind of started going through those movies i think this was back when they were still streaming on netflix which is something that nobody talks about they always say that uh hbo max is the first time ghibli movies have ever been streaming that's not true they were on netflix for a little while um but uh, yeah that that's about when i kind of started to go through these movies um and uh yeah miyazaki is definitely uh a big part of that like i i think at the time i really wanted to watch the stuff that he had been making and uh for this podcast uh, i actually got to break open another disc from this box set i got a couple years ago the collected works of Hayao miyazaki uh I got that for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I haven't really watched a whole lot of stuff from it, but I've always really enjoyed having that collection set, and it was cool to be able to have an excuse to put something on from it. Um, so that was fun, and I guess out of Miyazaki's works, I would say uh, some of my favorites are probably, I would say Princess Mononoke is number one for me, uh spirited away might be number two and then i also have sort of a soft spot for the wind rises which is one that i feel like not as many people are as fond of because it's not as much of like a fantasy kind of thing it's kind of closer to the same vein as like uh whisper of the heart where the fantasy stuff is there but it's behind sort of a more grounded real world kind of thing which I thought was interesting and it was definitely like a good send off for him as a director. So I guess, yeah, that would be kind of my experience with his prior works. Yeah. It's definitely a good uh, sort of swan song film for him to uh, retire. And now he's making another film. Great. Good, good on him. I mean, I'm happy. I'm glad there's another Miyazaki film coming out. Um, But like if he had left it on the wind rises, that would have been a good, a good note. And it is sort of weird. I feel like um, I haven't revisited it since I saw it in theaters and I do remember liking it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I just haven't seen it since. 
Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Miyazaki, Miyazaki, and my dad retire at about the same rate. Uh, <laughs> my dad has retired like twice now, and he's still working. <laughs> I can't believe Miyazaki's your dad. You're Goro Miyazaki. It's, That's possibly the most insulting thing I could have said. I'm so sorry, Tim. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. We like Oro. We like from up on Poppy Hill and yeah. nothing else. Uh, I haven't seen Earwig. I can't say. God, Tales from Earthsea is bad though. Oh, um, sorry. Uh, oh, you just hurt Angie's feelings. Oh, I know. I actually like that one. It's one of my favorites. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I'm. I. I I've also <laughs> read the the novels. Um, so I, I find it kind of frustrating. But I, I understand. I understand why people like it. I know people who do really like it. Um, and I appreciate that sentiment. There's a lot of cool stuff in. It, there's some cool ideas in Earthsea, but um, it, it doesn't gel with me. But I definitely get why people... I do see why people can enjoy it, certainly. Um, and I yeah. don't mean to diminish that at all. Um, yeah, I would say as far as Earwig goes, like, I definitely get why people don't like it. I see it more as, like, it's structured more like a pilot than a movie, and I kind of appreciate it on that level. Mm-hmm. But as as a movie, it definitely has its issues, I think, the animation being what it is. Yeah. Personally, I'm fine with it because I think uh, his prior works are kind of just him trying to be Miyazaki Jr. And it's him doing something a little different, which I think is kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, that's just how I see it. But I definitely get why people are like, this is the worst Ghibli. No, I I get that too. Um, <laughs> certainly. But uh, uh, moving on to the, the guest I have now insulted. Um <laughs> Uh, Angie, um, what is your previous experience with uh, Ghibli and Miyazaki? Uh, I, I first started watching uh, Ghibli movies in high school. Uh, so as a, a long story short, I, I didn't grow up with anime. Uh, I was introduced to it in uh, eighth grade. So uh, when I was in high school, my, I went over to a friend's place and she asked me, have you ever seen you know, Howl's Moving Castle? And I was like, what is that? And she's like, you've never seen Ghibli movies? And I was like, no, I don't, I've never heard of that before. So she's like, you have to watch Howl's Moving Castle. So that was the first Ghibli movie I ever watched. Um, and then she let me spirit it away. And um, after that, I kind of, you know, got into like a whole animated movie phase. And at that point, Ghibli was like the anime movies like I I had no concept that maybe you know other studios probably made animated movies in Japan to me it was Ghibli was everything so I went through and kind of started looking into the other Ghibli movies like Mononoke, Whisper of the Heart, um, The Cat Returns uh, basically all of them that I could find in English at the time Um, so that was kind of like my first uh, introduction to Ghibli. And then I had sort of like a resurgence when I started uh, getting into my hardcore anime phase after I graduated high school and was in college. Um, I went back and kind of rewatched everything and kind of found um, some of the newer stuff and um, caught up with some of the some of the ones maybe I didn't see. Again, still kind of stick into the stuff that was um, readily available and available in English. Um so I, I still haven't seen some of the ones that are um, some of the older ones. Like, what was it? I forget the name of them. There's a couple that didn't get released until recently, and I still haven't seen those ones. But but yeah, um, I always really liked Princess Mononoke. I think that's also one of my favorites. Uh, that's one that, that I probably rewatched the most 
um, out of them. I also really like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. And I think Howl's Moving Castle's, um, I always found it kind of weird, but I think it's like special since it was like the first one I watched. Mm. Um, Never forget your first. Right. And um, I watched Castle in the Sky uh, both times that I, I went through like the Gib- my Ghibli phase. So I watched it. This is my third time um, watching it. Nice. nice. Um no, I definitely get that. Um, particularly, I, I'm interested in how late, relatively late, you guys got into Ghibli. I think just because I, I know you both. Um, well, I know I know Tim more closely, mm-hmm. and and Angie through Tim, um, <laughs> that you guys are both big anime fans. Um, uh, as am I. Uh, but I just I always assumed everybody consumed Ghibli uh, the same way I did, um, which was I saw the month of Miyazaki on uh, on mm-hmm. uh, Toonami. Let me see. I, I saw Spirited Away when it first premiered on television. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. And I didn't see it through the first time because um, they, did, they did a couple screenings of it on TV. Um, but there was like multiple channels um, that did months like Miyazaki marathon sort of things. Toonami is the big one. I think that's the one that the most most people tuned into. Yeah. And that's the one I saw the most. Um, uh, TCM did one um, that I did not did mm-hmm. not see because I was a small, dumb baby. Um I was I was an actual child. I was in grade school at the time, and um, the uh, other one was the Disney Channel actually, which um, it wasn't like part of a major month of Miyazaki, but they would show those films um, sometimes during the day. That's actually where I saw My Neighbor Totoro for the first time was on the Disney Channel, mm-hmm. um, and they they would usually screen the the younger hewing ones, you know, like Totoro and Kiki's, um, and I. Uh, I really loved those films the first time I saw them. And there was like a brief phase like in high school where I'm like, oh, Ghibli films, they're pretty good, but they're a little overrated. And then I saw them again um, after having not watched them in a long time. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I'm wrong. These are just really, really good. Yeah. Um, these are just exceptional films. Um, and, and Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki's film, filmography and Isao Takahata's filmography are sort of big passions of mine. Um, I've lectured on um, Miyazaki and Takahata's pre-Ghibli catalog. Um, I did a lecture on... Uh, Takata's debut feature, um, Horus, Prince of the Sun, and uh, Miyazaki's debut feature, um, Loop on the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro, um, for uh, local university, Webster's, uh, Webster University's Kinimati Fest, animation festivals. Um, uh, and I, I really adore their work. Um, I've, I kind of get lost in their older catalogs, the pre-Ghibli stuff sometimes. Um, but I... I really enjoy it. Um, and there, there are films where I always find new things, new ways where they're sort of referring back to older elements. Um, that's, that's sort of one of my favorite pastimes when watching Ghibli films, when I'm not just completely enamored with the worlds, which is most of the viewing experience, but just spotting things that's like, oh, wait, that's a thing from an old thing. I remember that. That was on a TV cartoon that Miyazaki watched or made uh, a decade ago. Um, and that sort of characterizes my, my relationship with the studio. Um writ large and, and Miyazaki in particular mm-hmm. I have a lot of affection for um, a fellow uh, and Takahata really a couple of fellow leftists um, uh, people who at one point had Marxist leanings even if um, Miyazaki got a bit more bitter um, as he got older uh, mm-hmm. on a political and it really shows through in their films and also people that uh, have give proper salaries to their employees instead of working on a contract basis Studio Ghibli is as probably the most ethical anime company um, which I like uh, anime production studio mm-hmm. um so like purely on like mostly nostalgia mostly my love of the studio but also i just like love the fact that they're not an awful company relatively speaking is <laughs> nice right um 
but that's sort of that's getting lost in the sauce um but sort of honing in um on castle in the sky in particular um what is your previous experience with it not just like when you watched it but um um, your thoughts on it uh start with tim Yeah, so uh, like you had kind of mentioned the month of Miyazaki thing, like, uh, so I didn't grow up with cable, but like Toonami was something that whenever I'd be at someone's house who had cable, I would always want to watch Toonami or watch Adult Swim. Uh, I I didn't watch the month of Miyazaki, but like, I think that's about when uh, a lot of people started talking about it at my schools. Like that was when I kind of started hearing about spirited away and princess mononoke because those were like the movies that people were big into uh i think i discovered i think i first heard about like the existence of castle in the sky because like there was there was a version of uh, dance dance revolution where there was a song called castles in the sky and so then like i guess i probably googled that at some point and then like the movie came up or something i love that uh uh, just like a weird little tangential thing, but um, yeah, it, it that's that's one of the ones where like when I was going through the uh, filmography, uh, I I don't I didn't remember a I didn't remember it super well from the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Like I think it I think that was one where we had rented it through like the Netflix DVD service and whatever the disc was that they sent it was like kind of damaged so like it was having trouble Mm -hmm. like it it was like skipping at certain parts uh and so like i watched it in kind of segments like i I watched like part of it one day and then part of it another day or something like that so it was a movie that like uh, based on like my first experience with it i didn't have a whole lot of real memory of it didn't really stick with me the first time i watched it so i think that kind of made it interesting to revisit because it was one that wasn't super fresh in my head so it was just like a nice way to kind of experience it almost for the first time again i guess i'd say yeah no i get that that's that's cool that you were able to sort of experience it properly (laughs) again yeah um I'll, I'll reserve because I feel like I'll get lost in my own thoughts. Um, uh, Angie, your previous experience. Uh, so I, I guess I think I was probably around like 14 or 15 when I first watched it back in high school. And like Tim, I didn't remember too much of the first part of the movie. Uh, the, the part that I always remember the most from Castle in the Sky is when they actually get to the castle in the sky. Uh, one of my f- favorite things that I always remember is the the uh, the robots with like the moss and grass and like flowers growing all um, all over them. I always that that's imagery that always kind of stuck with me. And the biggest thing that 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 stuck with me was when uh, the villain of the movie uh, mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire of heaven that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. That was something that kind of like shook me because I, I I don't think I saw too many like animated stuff that referenced the Bible. And uh, that was always something that just stuck in my memory very vividly. That pretty much sums up my first experience. Like I said, I, I didn't like there was nothing um, else that particularly like 
I remembered or stood out to me. I was, I guess I leaned more towards the other Ghibli films um, more than Castle in the Sky. But like I said, those those two things, the, the, the robots um, and their kind of coexistence with nature, how the, like the, um, the vines and the moss grow over them. And then the, the mention of Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that, that was definitely one of the biggest things that like shook me as like a 15, 14 year old at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that. <laughs> no, I get that. Yeah. Um, particularly, uh, in a, if you've never seen something like if it's one of your first times, um, in, and even in a Ghibli film, uh, it's so rare. Like, you know, if you're watching Evangelion or something that's a bit more, more close to the edge, a bit more, uh. <laughs> Um, contemporary or that deals with that sort of thing. Did more. you know that those cross explosions were religious imagery? What? what? Uh, <laughs> and then and then it turns out it's just yeah we just used that imagery because it looked cool and we didn't think it was going to get exported. Um, and I love that. Um, I love love how frank they are about that. Um, Ano is, <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's a, that's another cast. We'll we'll talk about uh, Evangelion yeah. later. Um, but uh. <laughs> I love one hour photo. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Wow. My my own thoughts of the film. It's one that kind of passed over me. I'm not gonna lie. Like when I when I saw it um for the month of Miyazaki, I think some like something about it, um, it just kind of got um after Spirited Away and particularly after I think Nausicaa, um, after seeing that, um it, it didn't stick in the brain in the same way. Um which is not disparaging to it at all. Uh, again, I was a dumb, dumb baby um, who didn't know anything. Um, and it wasn't really, I never really properly revisited it until Fathom put it back in theaters um, not too long ago. I think when I was a freshman in college, it took me that long to properly revisit the film. Um, and I appreciated it a lot more then, um, I think. Uh, you can, uh, I, I mean, I'll get into the specifics later, um, but... Um, as a as a fun adventure story it is something that sort of stands out um at least as a film in uh in miyazaki's catalog um uh like it it hits a lot it ticks a lot of boxes um but at the same time it's it's unique in a way um he doesn't do as many sort of um straightforward science fiction-y adventure stories um in in film um really after castle in the sky that's sort of um he kind of washes his hands of that um and it's in, in a lot of ways it's a culmination of things which is neat but again I, w I won't get into that too much now um there there's time to ramble later as always um and i guess that leads pretty neatly into um overall thoughts on the film uh tim starts off yeah um yeah we watched it yesterday afternoon and uh yeah it, i would i would say it was it was enjoyable um I would say it's probably not in like my top five Miyazaki movies or anything, but like I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that uh, the villain was uh, kind of captivating and like I, I really enjoyed like the imagery with the robots and the nature, which like Miyazaki is always doing his sort of environmental message. Um, but I, I thought it was kind of cool here. Uh, and like, yeah, the robots are really cool. Um and like we watched the dub and uh the performances were uh enjoyable like james vanderbeek as the little child <laughs> was just kind of funny like I, I feel like i mentioned this uh while we were watching it like i feel like after he got that role of playing like a 16 year old at age 30 that that kind of just uh typecast him as child roles Fair. 
Uh, but yeah, I think I thought that I enjoyed his performance and Mark Hamill as the villain was, uh, very enjoyable. He's always a good villain. Uh, after his performance as the Joker, he's definitely like made his mark. Hamill, even, as uh, a villain-type character. Um, Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. And particularly with regards to Joker, I love when he, when Mushka starts getting kind of, kind of particularly villainous, um, more outwardly so. And he really starts Jokering um, at the end there, like his his laughs and and his more sinister voice. (laughs) Like we were watching with uh, captions, and the captions would always say, laughs wickedly. God. Which was funny. I love that. God. Uh, yeah it was it was enjoyable to watch um and yeah it it was i was glad to revisit that one because like like i I feel like i watched a lot of the ghibli movies kind of uh close together so they all kind of mesh together in a way uh and like Movies like Castle in the Sky and uh, Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke, they all have their very striking similarities, sort of. Mm-hmm. But I think they're all very strong in their own way as well. So I think it's kind of good to visit each one on their own. And so it was good to revisit this one. For sure, for sure. No, I, I definitely agree. I think um, they, they can, in some ways, blend together. Uh, and I'll, not, not in like a bad way, but just in terms of thematic stuff. And right, stuff. yeah. Um, but, and, and I'll get into more to that later, of course. But I, th- that is a good point, um, particularly those early films, um, when Miyazaki's clearly getting more comfortable to, with directing the feature format stuff. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I understand why it doesn't necessarily stick out in the mind, too, at the same time, um, as a result. Um but um, yeah, no. <laughs> um, Angie, uh, what were your thoughts on the film, particularly revisiting it? Like Tim, I'd say it's not one of my favorites, but um, I, I think it's a really fun adventure. It, one of the things I appreciated, is, like revisiting it, was um, kind of how well, like the narrative, like moved, so to speak. You know, everything kind of flowed well together. Like there was nothing that kind of di- didn't make sense at all kind of um flowed very well together like especially because i remember them being you know involved with the pirates but i never remembered exactly like how that happened uh but the way it happened in the movie like revisiting it it makes like uh, a lot of sense how how they um how he kind of got involved with them and how they ended up you know kind of working with them and kind of becoming their friends Mm -hmm. um and uh, I think it's very like a, a very simple uh, adventure story. So I think it, it's something that would be really great for like kids, mm-hmm. um, in a good way. You know, not not um, not saying that in a bad way. I think it's a good movie for you know a good like kind of adventure story that's not you know not kind of talking down to to anyone, but very simple and easy to follow. So um, I think it's a good movie for you know ki- you know kids could enjoy. Um, I also picked up more on like the environmentalism, like knowing what I know about Miyazaki now and rewatching it, I could pick out a lot of the scenes and the moments where they're kind of uh, hinting at some environmental themes uh, in it. Um, And uh, I think still, um, even from from the past and now, uh, my favorite part of the movie is always when they actually get to the castle uh, and everything that happens after that point is still always my favorite part of the movie 
Yeah, for sure. I think um, Laputa itself is such a such a big high point, um, and I, and I do agree with the the overall sentiment of the way it flows. Um, like like it's sort of always going for the most part, but the, you do get those soft moments, like those oca- very occasional moments of rest. Um, there's no, it doesn't really give you. It gives you just enough time to sort of get your bearings and get a better understanding of the characters. Um, but um, it, there is a sense of constant movement throughout the film that I really appreciate. Um, it makes it a really fun adventure story. And again, like something that, like you said, I think that would really um, jibe with like ch- how children consume things, um, particularly uh, in that it's um, it doesn't really give them an opportunity to get too bored. Um, there's always a little bit of something, but it doesn't totally overwhelm the senses, um, which is a, a tightrope to walk, certainly, um, but one that uh, Miyazaki walks um, really wonderfully. Um, and I guess that'll transition into my thoughts on the film. Um, and I, I like it a lot. Um, I think it's very enjoyable. And on this watch through, particularly after after doing like having done a lot of research and reading a lot of books and things, like a big dumb nerd um, for for a class proposal I was making. It's remarkable how much this film is sort of a greatest hits for Miyazaki of like everything he'd worked on prior, um, and not in a bad way. Not in like a like oh he's recycling ideas that sucks, um, but in like like you see a lot of things coming together. Particularly, um, it's him sort of returning to uh, the characters of uh, Conan and Lana from Future Boy Conan um, with uh, Pauzu and Shita um, in some ways. Like like Pauzu is very different from uh, Conan in in some ways, but particularly when he's uh, when he kicks off his shoes um, and he starts charging up the um, the tube, uh, the robot tube on Laputa, um, and when he's sort of ambling around that, that sort of acrobatic sense. Um, is very much Conan, um, and he's he's re-exploring some ideas, but um, in many respects in sort of a more complex way. Um, like, obviously, uh, he's limited um, in the sense that, you know, he doesn't have 26 episodes of television to work with here. Um, but it's cool seeing him sort of return to some ideas um, and also just remix others, or just, like, reusing little things, like the designs. Um, like, the Laputin robot is originally from an episode of Lupin the Third Part Two, the last one, actually. Um, that d- design is just recreated whole hog, um, mm-hmm. and or even small things like um, you'll notice the uh, the car um, that uh, the uh, the pirate gang uses um, in the opening of the uh, Dola gang I think um, uses in the opening of the film. That's actually a Sherlock Hound's car from from Sherlock Hound or a very very close approximation of it. Um, and even the outfits are similar to um, the uh, the outfit the white outfit that Moriarty would wear in that. Um, and it's fun just seeing him, him reuse these ideas that he never really got a chance to, um, like, like necessarily see to fruition or, or use in his most ideal capacity. Um, like the, like the way he wanted to use it, um, for like a proper full budgeted feature this time, instead of the, the constraints of television animation, um, where he still uses them admirably, but maybe not in the way he would want notorious perfectionist and, uh, curmudgeon Miyazaki. Um, and and I won't I won't go on beyond that because um, that, that's the thing that mostly I I mostly got away with it and I think both of you um, put a really nice bow on on why the film film works uh, super well so mm-hmm. um, I won't I won't belabor that point um, <laughs> too much um, but speaking of uh, our our new Conan and new Lana um, what were your guys' thoughts on the leads Pauzu and uh, Shita Yeah, I mean they I thought they were. Uh compelling characters to kind of follow like it, there, there was sort of like a sense of mystery with Shita 
uh, that kind of made her interesting as you continue to learn more and more about her. Uh, and, like, in, in that opening scene where they're on the ship and, like, she just busts a bottle over somebody's head, like, that that immediately it gets this point across of, like, she's this strong character who's getting the hell out of here. Um, and, like, that, that kind of made her interesting to continue to follow. And then, like, you see her uh, falling uh, with the, uh, the crystal just kind of having her slowly glide down uh that that kind of made her interesting and then uh pazu's just kind of uh like fun scrappy little dude who like he's he's so like hard-headed and like he he, he doesn't think so much for his own safety as much as just like getting done whatever he needs to get done like he'll, he'll just like make a two meter jump onto some pillar <laughs> in the hopes that maybe he'll survive. Like he, he has like Nathan Drake physics where he, he'll just, uh, he'll just, uh, jump onto like some cliff and he'll just climb it. Uh, and that, that made him fun to watch in that. Like he was just like this little survivor. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, I guess. He's very determined, uh, to like get things done. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Uh, like, like particularly when, um, somebody else is in danger, he's, he's very, stubborn and and single-minded um in his pursuit of of helping them which is always an appreciable quality in a protagonist uh angie uh your thoughts on pozonchita well the one of the big takeaways um that i got especially while i was watching the movie was um just how brave these two children were like uh I, i just appreciate how they were willing to you know jump out and climb on the side of um you know, airships and a floating island uh, with like nothing in, uh, beneath them. That I think that took a lot of courage for them to kind of, you know, do stuff like that. Because I'm a full grown adult and I couldn't do that. So, um, so I really appreciate how you know brave these two you know children were um, throughout the movie, and they were very. Um, they didn't really give, especially Pazu. He was very much not really one to give up there was that one moment like kind of in, in the middle i guess um where i guess it was good for their, their character development where they almost gave up but but then they didn't you know especially when you get that scene where pa- pazu walks back home and then he is confronted by um uh, dola and she's like hey you know she made a deal you know you think you're gonna keep her alive you know you got to make a decision or you're going to come with us you may never come back here and he's like i'm going to do it i'm going to go and save her and you know find uh the castle in the sky like i'm like i want to so i guess there was some determined like determination there um and uh what else i think shita was uh interesting like from an emotional standpoint especially at that time as well like where she's almost kind of giving up and then she remembers um the spell her grandmother taught her um and then she recites it and then all that just starts all kinds of stuff going on um that was kind of an interesting part of the movie too um i guess that's kind of my basic thoughts um they're kind of simple characters but in a good way you know they're not not too complicated but um they're interesting enough that you get invested in um kind of what they're going through and you kind of want to see them you know kind of succeed in the end 
Yeah, yeah, I would say um, particularly them being sort of straightforward characters um, is is to their benefit. Like they don't like they they have their their minor failings, their minor inconsistencies, but but more more than anything, um, they you know they're pretty straightforward, good good people um, set up against like incredible odds. Um, I think um, particularly with regards to their courage, I like the sense that you get um, that. Uh, like they both do courageous things without like the motivation of helping one or the other or like the the need to like you know obviously um uh Shita um, climbs out onto that airship in the opening um or uh, or Paozu will uh, will do things um without necessar- without uh necessarily having uh Shita's motivation but um cuz cuz they do have other motivations obviously he um he wants to find Laputa uh to sort of um validate his father um, and make and uh, redeem his father. Yeah, redeem that legacy. Um, and Shita has her own familial connection to Laputa. Um, th- there's a sense of multiple motivations. It's not purely romantic, um, but particularly, and even how the romance is handled between the two characters. Um, the way that they um, they don't kiss. Um, and and Miyazaki did comment on that specifically, being like, "I I don't want to make them kiss. That would completely change the dynamic of their relationship." Um, which I think is a, is a good decision ultimately, because um, there there is a sense that they care about each other very deeply, um, and it, it it's probably romantic maybe, but um, it doesn't have to be. They can just be good friends who happen to be a boy and a girl, you know. I like that it's kind of left open to interpretation. There's nothing like explicitly romantic about um, their interactions. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, it, they do have um, they do have their own um, motivations separate from each other. You know, it's not just that they want to save each other. That's part of it, but they, they've got their own things. Like, um, Shita wants to know more about herself. And like you said, Pazu is trying to, um, f- you know, redeem, find the, the, uh, Laputa for his father to validate, um, his claims because mm-hmm. he was called a liar. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think that's, that's a really good thing. Like, but I mean, but there's a sense also that they complement each other in a way that builds them up. Um, like that makes them, them better people in a way. Um, not like morally, but like makes them feel more confident in themselves um, and more willing to do things that they might not normally do. Um, which is sort of how things happen in real life a lot of the times. Um, at, at least from my experience. Um, oftentimes, sometimes I don't feel terribly motivated. Um, but if I know I'm doing something for somebody else, um, it, it makes me more inclined to do it um, than if it was just for me. Um, and I think yeah they, they worked oh sorry they they worked really well together I think it's like you said I, I think separately by themselves they wouldn't be as good as they are together in a way yeah, no 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 um, exactly um, and yeah I just they're very compelling um, even if they are they are straightforward they're maybe not as complex as as a Nausicaa um, or that sort of thing but they don't they don't really need to be they serve their their perfect purpose for the narrative um, and they aren't they don't feel just like tools for um for that they feel the exact right amount of rich um and nuanced that they need to be um but uh beyond those two i'm curious did um i'm doing it again (laughs) saying i'm curious um did you guys uh have any thoughts on the uh, the other characters um like the the military guys uh the dola gang um the uh, the boss the engineer um or uh or muska or, or anybody else, obviously. I was just throwing those yeah. as a few examples out there. Yeah, like, I, I thought Muska was a really uh, compelling villain character. Uh, I, I enjoyed 
kind of seeing his struggle to become like the king of Lapita and uh, their, like his struggle with Pazu and Shita trying to thwart his plans. Um, I, yeah, I, th- I thought watching him as a villain was entertaining and then like I, I thought that uh, Dola was a fun character. Those are kind of the ones that uh, jump out to me as kind of being standout characters, I guess I'd say. For sure, yeah. I think um, Mushka in particular, like he, um, there's there's a bit of DNA from from previous characters again, um, particularly like um, uh, Count Cagliostro, of course. Um, they, they have similar mm-hmm. dynamics, and that they're they're trying to attain royalty, and um, even even the way the the stone is used to open a door, similar to like the treasure, the treasure, the stolen treasures <laughs> at the end of Cagliostro um, to unlock. Yeah, I, ruins. But I love uh, Howell's moving Castle of Cagliostro in the, stat, in the sky. <laughs> I've ruined my joke. No, you got it. Howell's moving Castle of Cagliostro in the sky. I love that. That's a good bit. <laughs> Writing that one down for my stand-up um, that I will never do. Um, <laughs> no, um, I, d- I definitely agree with uh, with the sentiments. I think um, the Dola gang as well, um, and and the the lead, mm-hmm. the matriarch of the Dola clan. Is uh is a very very fun character. I'm um, particularly her dub performance. Cloris Leachman is uh really really good in that role. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, all the characters are, are a lot of fun. Oh, and um, the engineer husband, uh, who is just Doctor Eggman. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I that was that was something that 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 was like one of the few things that I did remember from uh prior viewings because like when I saw that character, I had to like take a picture of him on my phone. It's like, this is, this is Dr. Eggman. Yeah. No, the funny thing, he's another reused design too. Um, he's, uh, he's really? originally from, uh, the other episode of Lupin the third that, um, that, uh, Miyazaki directed. Huh. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, there, there are some minor differences, I that one. but, um, yeah, that one was flight of the albatross or albatross eyes. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, it was one of the ones that was dubbed and brought over by, by streamline as part of the tales of the wolf package. Okay. Um, but uh, that's a, that's enough rambling about obscure dub stuff. Angie, uh, your thoughts on the the rest of the cast? Seven thousand Cheetah. Uh, uh, again, uh, like Muska definitely is a really um, fun villain character. I, what I enjoyed about him was that he was just willing to sacrifice absolutely anything um, for his goal, his, his admittedly selfish goal. Like I like, he, he brought all these military guys and he is just like, yeah, I'm just going to kill all these guys. I just, <laughs> he, he just uh, did not care about anything other than his own goals. And I, I think for a villain, I think that's kind of, um, kind of fun and interesting. And then of course, Dola is, is really cool, especially since she's an old, like a woman and an older woman too, being really, um, kind of being really awesome and in command um and i thought like the the rest of the dola game were pretty kind of fun like comic relief characters especially her sons uh they were kind of fun goofy characters um that kind of mm-hmm. added a little bit of that comic relief uh to the movie yeah for sure like when they're um like i mean all their scenes are great and then the one where they're they're all trying to court um uh, Shita, I think I think that that's a that's a fine line to walk sometimes, um, but I think they handle it in a way that's that's cute more than anything and fun. Um, with them them being very sort of uh, silly and childish in a way uh, that makes makes the whole situation very approachable and and fun. My uh, my opinions on the characters again, I like the Dola gang um, as well. I kind of like um, 
the uh, the lead, you know, Dola herself, um, in that um, she kind of reminds me of like an older, almost an older, sort of very cantankerous Nausicaa, particularly when you see her piloting the glider and when she um, when she's knocked mm. out and she pulls up like that determined look, everything about the way she pilots it very much reminds me of how um, Nausicaa uh, pilots her, um, the, the Meve, her little glider um, in that film, um, which, which I like. I like the idea that this character is... Uh, even like the pink hair sort of like almost you know the red fading to gray there is almost a quality of that to her um or, or like mm-hmm. even the, the pigtails on her like the way that she's clearly an older woman but she wears her hair in a very sort of almost juvenile um like childish sort of way um that sort of represents how yeah. young at heart she is um is is very cute and fun and i dig it um much like the rest of this film <laughs> um yeah uh, going off the pigtails thing, I, I, I did enjoy like that moment where uh, Shita had just been shot by Muska, at, and like he shot off her pigtails, and then uh, like uh, Dola kind of con- consoles her, and she's like, "Nothing worse than getting your pigtails shot off." I love that because it very directly implies that it's happened to her before, um, probably <laughs> multiple times. I wouldn't doubt, um, which is is very again just a cute moment. Um, Again, there's a lot of, subtle, of like even kind of subtle characterization for these very over the top characters um, that um, is sort of a staple of Miyazaki films and probably what makes them so so compelling. Um, I, lo- I love stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the Dola Gang and uh, you know Muska, his, his performance, particularly I think I think Hamill uh, has a really outstanding performance. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these characters would get worse performances. I, I know somebody will care um, that if about this um so i want to bring it up briefly this film has another dub uh that exists um it's actually the first uh, miyazaki film to be brought over dubbed um and without any edits no warriors of the wind here no princess zarna <laughs> um but the du- and the dub was distributed like by streamline pictures um but was not dubbed by them actually uh it was dubbed um for uh japanese airlines um to be distributed on those for you know passengers who speak english to watch the film it is not a good dub um uh carl masick actually that's what spurred him on to be like let us dub kiki's delivery service and um kegliostro and uh, totoro was he didn't like the dubs that were made for pokoroso or um castle in the sky um mm-hmm. and those performances are not good uh they're 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 kind of fun in their own way they're silly they're not like the worst things in the world um but they're they're far cry from the uh, the Disney dub, which is generally of, right. of higher quality, um, but I, I mentioned that just because the, those characters are voiced that that can fit in the character section, sure. Um, and, and somebody somebody would have put, put, uh, mentioned if we hadn't mentioned it. Um, but I do recommend seeking it out, um, just in terms of it being an interesting kind of fun thing to see these characters being played in a different way. Alternate dubs are always fun and interesting, like that, particularly mm-hmm. stuff like really early stuff um and it's always fun to spot out because i think like um it's no- nowhere near as good as like leachman's performance in the dub but um i think the uh dola's performance in that dub is, is fun in its own way um maybe a bit closer to the japanese almost in a way um if, if that's something that matters to you it does not matter to me but um <laughs> and I'll, I'll i'll leave it at that um, as we conclude characters. Um, and finally, um, I have two questions just because it's sort of iconic. It's like, um, like Angie mentioned at the top, uh, like when, when you think of this film, you, the, the iconic scene is very much the, uh, Laputin robot, um, reaching down, um, in front of, uh, uh, Pauzu and Shita, the one covered in moss. And, um, so I'm curious about your opinions on the Laputin robot itself, um, as well as the entirety of Laputa, the nation and, and sort of its history, 
um, is this this world conquering entity that we don't really get to see much of um, outside of you know what is told mm-hmm. to us by Muska and the little bits of technology that are still functioning. Yeah, I, I thought that the Laputian robots were like really cool. They they had a really cool um, design and like I like Angie kind of mentioned the way they kind of intertwine with nature was something that gave them a lot of character and uh they they kind of have this that quality of like the gentle giant that like you think it's going to be this uh dangerous thing that's going to hurt you but it actually is just like trying to protect and uh, preserve the nature of the lapida (laughs) and like i think i think the the kind of like lore and background of lapida was really interesting and captivating and uh, i guess i can kind of shoehorn a thing that i forgot to mention when i was talking about thoughts of the film into this category uh, so uh when i was watching it yesterday i had just like this like uh mind blown moment where i realized that uh one of my favorite episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh uh riffs off this movie uh there's there's a uh, three-part filler episode after the Duelist Kingdom saga where uh, they get stuck into this uh, <laughs> VR game and they have to uh, defeat the Big Five to escape this VR game. And there's a sequence where they have to get onto this like proto airship thing and go to the uh, Castle of Dark Illusions in the sky. <laughs> And like for whatever reason that it never occurred to me that that was like uh doing this movie and when I was like seeing the little like airship and seeing the castle in the sky I was just like whoa that that that's this thing yeah no um I, I definitely uh agree that the civilization it's it's sort of shrouded in mystery um just interesting in its own way um and then the Loputin robot is cool and good I love it um it's it's a good boy um but um and I'll, I'll save my thoughts for my my dedicated time um but uh angie your thoughts well like i mentioned before like the, when they get to laputa that's like my favorite part of the movie um i always like the concept of like the the robots intertwined with nature there's some there's a like um like kind of a tragedy to it you know because they're kind of they're operating there you know long after people people have you know have gone and they're still there kind of protecting nature and i like how you only have like the one robot left all the other ones that have long stopped functioning and have uh uh been like almost fully consumed by nature by that point um i also think there i I like the kind of mystery around you know the civilization that was something i was thinking about yesterday after we um after we watched it um, you know, kind of like what 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 it was the story, the history of this this place? Because they don't really exactly tell you because that you know it's kind of somewhat of an unknown. Um, I would kind of theorize that maybe it's sort of a a, a story like a classic story of like hubris, you know, kind of um, kind of causing the downfall of the civilization you know that's kind of why you you assume that they kind of uh return to the earth there was also that which is tied into a one line where you said like all stones return to the earth um earlier in the film i, I think that was kind of uh, you know something interesting where it's like they, they, they were too full of themselves and they built this floating island um 
but you know, kind of like th there was something wrong about that. So that's why they, they decided to return to the earth and, and the island, um, the floating island kind of became consumed by nature mm -hmm. in a way. I, I think it's very interesting. Like I said, it's my favorite part of the movie, um, especially from a conceptual standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, getting into like the, the roots, the way nature has sort of taken over this, this ancient society is really interesting. Um, uh, and particularly, you know, obviously the finale where the, the island, uh, literally like all, all remnants of it, all vestiges of it sort of just break apart and all that is left is, is the natural world as it sort of floats up into the sky. Um, I like that. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good coda to put on it instead of just the island, like crashing into the sea or anything like that. Um, sort of the opposite. Of yeah. It, yeah. I guess like, I guess you could say it's symbolic. Cause like the part of the island that broke down was the, the human part of it. Mm -hmm. And it left the giant, like the giant tree in nature remained afterwards. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, my, and, and particularly like, yeah, like what you're discussing, like the only robots that are, are still around and seemingly in like pristine condition are, are these machines of war, um, that are just sort of waiting to be deployed. And the, the ones, the only ones that seem to be still be active or the only one that seems to be active is this sort of gardening machine, this, um, one dedicated piece that sort of has to live out the rest of its days. Um, which I, I like. I like that sort of a nice juxtaposition um, that that makes them into more than just weapons of war. A lot of the character acting you see in the uh, the Putin robot is uh, it's very charming. Um, the, the little quirks, little movements, and the way like it can be so tender with um, uh, Sheeta, the one aunt that uh, is activated by her uh, request for help, um, and the way that Sheeta responds. Like even when she she's um, waiting for uh like when she's like yelling when everything is burning around her and she's yelling for help she can find it in her to to grasp the the finger the the hand of the dying robot um which is such a such a cute moment that i really um love um and really helps humanize these these machines um as sort of the, the last laputans in a way um more so even than than maybe muska or um shita um and the whole thing is just really neat. Um, and, and I won't get into more, much more than that. <laughs> um, aside from the Laputin robots are cool and good, once again. Um, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? Um, yeah, I guess uh, to just kind of uh, reprise uh, what, what I've been saying. I, I think this was an interesting one to revisit. And uh, I, I definitely enjoyed revisiting it and uh i enjoyed watching the dub which i hadn't watched the dub i watched it in japanese but it, it was so long ago that i can't really compare it to the japanese version uh but i did enjoy the dub and i enjoyed uh revisiting a miyazaki film that uh, i didn't have a whole lot of memory of so yeah it was it was just uh, a fun one to revisit for sure angie uh, yeah, I guess my overall thoughts is that it, it's a fun, you know, a little adventure movie. Great to to um, show kids, you know. Um, I think that, that would be very enjoyable for them. And uh, overall, I just it, it's just kind of a fun movie. Like like I said, not my favorite, but definitely something enjoyable um, to pass time with. Especially like I said, if you have like young kids or, or anything and you want to have like a fun movie to show to watch with them i think that's a, this is a good one 
for sure yeah no um uh my my final thoughts are i i enjoyed revisiting it um i thought it was very interesting again coming back and seeing it as sort of a like representative of a lot of miyazaki's ideas um in the, in the same way almost wind rises could be um is a swan song for sort of the latter half of his career i would argue castle in the sky would have been uh, a really good coda for that first half just like um the perfect culmination of everything mm-hmm. um and a good good note to leave out on but thankfully he didn't um he continued to make extremely good movies um arguably even better depending on your your personal preferences um i don't i don't want to pass judgment on anyone who really likes castle in the sky or really doesn't um <laughs> uh but but I, I i really liked revisiting it it was a lot of fun um and with that i won't go on too much longer um i think that'll bring things to a close um uh, for those of you listening on the audio platforms, if this is your first time and you're not, um, be sure to uh, give us a follow or a like um, or a thumbs up, five star, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, be sure to give us a like, um, a subscribe, um, and we greatly support uh, greatly support your appreciate. No, we greatly appreciate your support um, and your tuning in to uh, the Bomb Squad podcast. Um, and we do ask that you join us next week um, for a Tim Sullivan hosted anime pod on uh, cowboy bebop the movie um full title is knocking on heaven's door that's it yeah cowboy bebop the movie knocking on heaven's door which he, he will lead two anime in a row uh it's a christmas miracle that's right um somebody has t- yeah. that's the reason tanner is not here is we shoved him in a, another room and said hey we're talking about anime for two weeks um and he hasn't realized that the room is unlocked i'm kidding tanner is sitting right next to me to be clear <laughs> That was Tanner. <laughs> um, and so join us next week for that. We're very excited to see you. Uh, real quick, uh, just uh, thanks for Angie coming on the podcast. Uh, enjoyed having you on here. Um, looking forward to future cast that you'll be joining with us. Yeah, it was my pleasure joining you. Um, I hope you invite me on more anime-related vibes. <laughs> Uh, podcasts i unfortunately don't know too much about movies but i do know about anime a little bit so uh i I look forward to joining you all again thank you so much for coming on um it was a real treat having another voice uh here with us i mean it's always cool hearing your thoughts you were wonderful thank you so much yeah thank you for the invite tim i I really enjoyed it take care and we will see you next week bye-bye farewell bye-bye